verse 10. Um, Paul writing, he says, According to God's grace that was given to me, I've laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it, for no one can lay any foundation other than that which has been laid down. And that foundation is Jesus, the Messiah. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, so stuff that's substantive and, and will hold, uh, valuable, or if wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day, the day of the Lord, will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and that is what you are. This is God's word. Um, thank you guys for being so gracious with Dr. Harrigan um, last week. He was really blessed um, by being here. Um, and if you didn't enjoy last week, thanks for humoring me. Uh, we're gonna, uh, we were going to continue in, in Daniel, um, but I feel, and this happens like once a, you know, every five years, I, I feel like I have a pretty specific word um, for us. That started to bubble up two weeks ago, two Sundays ago, October 8th. So the war in Israel started October 7th. Um, and I was heavy on me that night, not for like geopolitical reasons, but we have missionaries there who were working um, in that environment. And then we had church uh, Sunday morning. And then as I was driving home, that long commute home, um, I, I felt a, a burden for uh, like the American church, and that's not normal for me. Okay, the Lord has entrusted me and our elders with a hundred, not a hundred million. So I don't spend a ton of time or energy on the national or global um, body of Christ. They they don't care about me. I don't care about them. It's fine. You know what I mean? Like I can't I can't do anything for them. Um, they can't do anything for me. Our elders, we can do stuff for you guys. Okay, we can be helpful. Um, to, to you, so that's where my heart and mind is generally. So that made two Sundays ago really weird because, like, God, I don't spend time or prayer on them um, so much, but I really did. I just felt this burden for um, the larger whole, and the burden was this: that if what's happening uh, over yonder leads to something more intense, whatever you know, fill in the blank there. Would the gospel that our churches have been proclaiming would it hold up? Okay, like on my way home, and then I'm at, I'm at home just thinking, is what we're saying to people, is it girding them up to deal with what might come? Like based on what we're hearing week in, week out, um, month in, month out, year in, year out, for decades, right? The church has been in the United States for, for decades. Will that message that we proclaim, will it bend and then break under the weight of global intensity, Will the message that our churches are preaching sustain in trial? Or, and this was the burden, is it the sort of message that because it has no substance, causes believers, sets up believers to fold when pressure increases? Okay? So at first I was just thinking, you know, like World War III scenarios. Like, are we, are we prepared for something like that? But then I started to think about all the other categories of pressure 
that are just part of this age. General suffering. Okay? Just general life being sucky. Is the message we preach preparing people for that or, or, or persecution after that? Does it prepare people for sickness and death for fallen or unmasked leaders? How's your gospel hold up to that? What about to the sins of others? When other people sin against you, does the gospel that you've heard for decades, does it prepare you to deal with that like Jesus does or your own sin? This is a big one. Does the gospel that comes out of pulpits in America every week teach people how to deal with their own sin, how to lay it at the cross, how to repent, turn and and get on the path that leads to eternal life? Does it do that basic little thing? Okay, is the gospel we're preaching preparing people for all the different pressures or is it uh, what, what Spurgeon called a rickety gospel that will not bear your weight? A chariot whose axles will snap or whose wheels will be taken off or a foundation of sand that might sink in the day of the flood. Like this, I'm just driving home and I'm like, oh, what what would happen? So I think for at, at, at least three Sundays, which will be broken up by a baby, hopefully. Is she here? Oh, there she is. Okay. <laughs> um, I just want to work through the gospel again. Okay. And I want to look at the sort of messengers and shepherds that God requires to spread that message. And then just work through those different categories of, you know, suffering, persecution, death, war, whatever. Fill in the blank and see if our gospel will actually hold up under pressure. Or if we've proclaimed and therefore we've believed a gospel that won't bear the weight. Okay, that's what I want to do. We'll get to Daniel eventually. and I promise we'll finish Matthew sometime, but... This is where we're at today. So first, what's what's the gospel? What is a non-rickety gospel? What's a gospel that will hold up under pressure? It's this. Now is not always because Jesus died for our sins. Okay? There is a coming age. This age of death will be swallowed up by an age of life. And repentant people can inherit that coming age through trust in the cross. This is the gospel. This is what the apostles proclaimed. There is a cross before the day for sinners unto eternal life. Paul gives us one little sentence. Galatians 1, 3 and 4. He says, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. The cross gave himself for our sins unto eternal life. Jesus comes, Mark, uh, uh, John the Baptist comes, repent. The kingdom of heaven, the day of the Lord is at hand So repent, so turn, so put your trust in the cross. And we're going to drill that over and over and over again. One, because it's the message that the apostles handed down to us and we don't have to make up anything else. Okay. And two, we preach that message because it's a message that will hold up. Okay, that message can bear the weight of persecution. It can bear the weight of of suffering and war and death and all the other stuff. Put whatever you want up against that message and it will stand and it will hold firm. Okay, the cross before the day holds up and will work. And so if you're here this morning and you've never heard the gospel before or you've never believed the gospel before, today is the day. We're telling you, I'm telling you, the members of our church will tell you, Jesus died on a cross for your sins. And if you will put your trust in him, you will inherit eternal life at the day of the Lord. This will happen. This is true. And it's for sinners. It's not for awesome people. It's a gift, not a wage. Like this is the the message that we have to proclaim all the time, over and over and over and over. So if you're here and you have questions about that, talk to a member of our church. They can tell you all about it. Okay? You can talk to me or any of our other elders or you can fill out a form on our website and I'll come to you and bring you some food. Okay? 
So if that's the message, now it's not always because Jesus died for our sins. There is a cross before the day. What kind of messengers are needed to steward it? And this really matters, and I think this is where the burden was, is that if we have messengers... And, and, and who are building with a, a rickety message, a message that does not prepare people for suffering, a message that does not prepare people for hardship, what happens to the hearers? What happens to them? Well, Paul tells us they'll be destroyed. Okay, back to 1 Corinthians. But each one is to be careful how he builds on the foundation of the cross before the day. Verse 13, each one's work, their building will become obvious for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire of the day of the Lord. It's going to test the quality of our work. Okay, so as a church in America, you know, since we got here, whatever, it's going to be tested. We're going to see, did it? Did we build with stuff that will hold up or did we build with... Poor quality, right? This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gives the whole thing. Here's how we walk the path in this age. And then he finishes and he says, there's two houses, right? And on the outside, they look the same, but they have different foundations. So when the flood comes, when the storm comes, when the day of the Lord comes, one of them will hold up, even though on the outside, they looked the exact same. The fire is going to test the quality of the work. So the fire... Is going to test our message and goes, hey, did you actually prepare people? Did you actually gird people up to deal with difficulty of this age, big and little? Verse 16, then Paul talks to the messengers and the leaders and says this, verse 16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and the spirit of God lives in you? Verse 17, if anyone destroys God's temple by building it with unstable material, wood, hay, and straw, a rickety gospel that minimizes hardship and doesn't prepare people for suffering. If anyone destroys God's temple because they didn't build it right, God will destroy him. That's sobering. Okay? So Paul very much has in mind a scenario where a different message is being spread that doesn't gird people up to face tribulation. Therefore, when tribulation comes, the people are not ready, right? They've been given this task of stewarding the message of the cross before the day of the Lord and stewarding a lifestyle that bears it out. That I'm going to carry a cross before the day of the Lord. And then they either willfully or ignorantly, okay? Guys, you you would be shocked how many messengers, preachers, teachers do not preach the cross and do not teach the day of the Lord just because they don't know it. No one told them. They're just doing what they've been taught. So it might be ignorant. There's more wicked people who willfully do it, but a lot of messengers are just ignorant of the cross, ignorant of the day of the Lord. And therefore they preached and they lived something else and people died because of it. People perish because they didn't actually preach the gospel. And I think God will show no mercy for that shepherd. They destroyed God's temple. So verse 16, God will destroy them. So the point in this is that the the message has to match the messenger, right? Jesus doesn't just teach there is a cross before the day. Jesus bears a cross before the day. Paul doesn't just teach there is a cross before the day. He and the other apostles with him, they bear the cross before the day. And then they extend that message and they extend that lifestyle to their hearers, right? This is what Jesus is doing. He says, hey guys, the baptism with which I'm going to be baptized with, right? Not talking about the baptism of the spirit, right? The baptism with which I'm baptized with, you will be baptized with. To his hearers, to his disciples, to his apostles. The cup that I drink, Jesus says, you guys will also drink. And then they did. 
And they were ready for it because Jesus told them. Had Jesus not prepared them beforehand, you think the apostles would have gone to their death faithfully? No. They absolutely would have given up if Jesus had said, no, everything's going to go well for you. Everything's going to be fine. And then tribulation comes. Yeah, we wouldn't have the testimony that we have from those men and from those women who came after. Like, we, we would not have it. So 1 Corinthians 4, which comes right after 3 and then 4. You can do some math. You can do a little. 1 Corinthians 4, after 1 Corinthians 3, and, and the testing of the message that we just went through, Paul then begins to dig at these false messengers who are not preaching this cross, who are not preparing people for difficulty, and he starts to mock them. Verse 8, he says, you guys are already full. You're already rich. You've already begun to reign as kings without us, the other apostles who are bearing the cross. And I wish that you guys did reign so that we could also reign with you. This is catty Paul, right? This is picking Paul. He says, you guys are preaching a message that says the promised trial and difficulty of this age, that's passed away, that's done and over with, and now we're in some sort of new era where the blessings of the age to come are actually happening now. You guys are full, you're rich, you're reigning as kings. And then he, he strips to his own, uh, shifts to his own ministry and what the true message and the true messengers are to be like and to embody in their life. Verse 9. Paul then begins to say, for I think God has displayed us, the apostles. So he's got this apostolic band who are doing the thing. God has displayed us in last place, like men condemned to die. We've become a spectacle to the world. Blessed Hope says God has assigned to us, the apostles, the least important place of all, at the very back of the victor's procession. So the imagery here is, you know, Rome has gone off to conquer and, and do the things that, that Rome does, right? And then they come back into the city with the, the, you know, the gold and the silver and the vessels and the captors. And they place the captors of the, you know, different regions and, and countries that they've just conquered, they place them at the back of the procession going into the city. So the king or the general or whoever, Maximus Decimus Meridius, right? He's at the front. He's going in. The people are lauding him. The prisoners are at the back of the line behind the horses and camels and elephants. And they're walking through the dung. And people are throwing things at them saying, we've conquered you. We've destroyed you. All this stuff. And Paul says, yep, that's what we're doing as apostles who bear the message and the lifestyle of the cross before the day. We are utterly, utterly humiliated in front of everyone like men sentenced to die in the arena, both to angels and people. So the powers in the heavens are even mocking these Christ followers. And so Paul's saying, this is what the message has brought on us. But you guys are already full. You're already kings. You've already begun to reign. Something doesn't match. Then verse 10, he goes back at them. He says, we're fools for Christ. You guys, you're wise in Christ. We're weak. You are strong, you are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Verse 11, up to the present hour, we're hungry and thirsty, we're poorly clothed, we're roughly treated, we're homeless, we labor, we're working with our own hands. But when we're reviled, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure. Verse 13, when we're slandered, we respond graciously, like our master, right? He, though being reviled, did not revile in return, but kept entrusting himself to the righteous judge on his throne. He'll take care of it. He'll deal with it. The day of the Lord is for them. I'm going to respond graciously. Even now, Paul says, we are like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. 
So you've got two different messages and messengers here contrasted with each other. One is set on bearing the shame, bearing difficulty, bearing persecution. Another is telling everyone, it's going to be fine. Everything's going to be great. Put your trust in Jesus. All will go well for you. And Paul's like, this doesn't work. It doesn't work. Or something's off. And if I'm Paul, I'm thinking, maybe I should believe what they believe. <laughs> That would work out better for me. So in verse 14, he talks to his hearers. We get Pastor Paul here. He puts on his pastor voice. He says, I'm not writing this to shame you. Okay? He's not describing all of this so that his hearers feel bad. Because I do, I just, I need to say this. It's not bad if things are going well for you. Okay? It's not, it's not bad. Sometimes... This message of, of the cross before the day, this message of suffering before glory comes off that way. And you're like, well, should I feel bad if I'm healthy? Should I feel bad if I'm wealthy? Like, like Corinth is fabulously wealthy. Paul says, I'm not trying to shame, shame you guys, right? If your life is going okay, or if you live in America, you do not need to feel guilty for that, right? You all have heard that message from missionaries, right? They come from the hardest and darkest places, and they just... Uh, tell you guys what horrible Christians you are the whole time they're here and then they leave and you're just like, oh, I thought I was trying to follow Jesus. No, you're fine. You're good. Follow Jesus in Tonkwa well, is going to look different than following Jesus, you know, wherever. And just on that note, guys, um, Joel Richardson came a few years ago or last year. John was here this week. They don't do that. <laughs> they come that, man, we are so pumped about what God's doing in Tonkwa well with you guys. Who are rich and wealthy and health like it's it's not it's not it's not the point. The point is is in putting all of these this this everything will go well for you versus this trouble and trial and persecution. The point is to say you can't reinterpret this age according to those things and assume that you're enjoying God's blessings and, and that because you're enjoying God's blessings, that means the fundamental character and nature of this age has changed. Okay. And therefore, there's no more expectation of suffering. He's writing to shame the teachers who are telling them that. He says, if you guys listen to them and interpret your present prosperity as now there's a change in the narrative and everything's going to go well for you all the time, you'll crumble. It won't work. So I'm not writing to shame you, he says, verse 14, but to warn you as my dear children... Right, First Thessalonians, guys, I was like a nursing mother among you, taking care of you, loving you, like setting you up to succeed. I'm not writing to shame you, but to warn you, my dear children. And then I urge you to imitate not the super apostles, right? First Corinthians 8, he'll call them super apostles who boast that they're already kings. No, I urge you to imitate me, Paul says. Imitate me. And what does imitating Paul look like? Well, we just read it. Reviling. Persecution, slander, scum of the earth, walking through elephant poo at the back of the line. This is what Paul's life is. is you guys imitate me, not those guys. They'll send you to death. They are destroying God's temple if you follow after them. Other messengers, other messengers are telling the folks at Corinth, you're already full, you're already rich, you're already kings, you've already begun to reign. The things promised after suffering are actually now yours before suffering. And Paul puts his own life on display and says that message is wood and hay and straw and the fire of the day of the Lord will reveal it as such. Again, we got two houses. They look the same on the outside. But when the flood comes, we find out who actually built their life to stand in trouble and who built it on on sand. And, and Paul carries this stance 
to the end of his life. So Corinthians is an early letter. Second Timothy, we think, is, is the last letter. So this is old man Paul, Second Timothy. And if you have a, a paper Bible, those still exist. I'm just going to do the whole book here. Okay? I mean, I'm going to skip a lot, but we're going through the whole, whole book. So Second Timothy 1, verse 1. Paul says, for the sake of the promise of life, eternal life, the resurrection, the age to come, for the sake of that in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly loved son, verse 8, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, that he suffered before he entered glory. This was the scandal of Jesus, right? Like a crucified Messiah? No, 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 no. No, a shamed Messiah? No way, no. That's shameful. To die like a common criminal, that, that's shameful. And Paul says, Timothy, don't, don't be ashamed of that. That, led, that leads to glory. Or don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Instead, Timothy, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. So as we hear this gospel message that calls us to carry a cross and, and work through and navigate difficulty in this age, don't think like, I got to just do this all by myself and grit my teeth and figure it out. No, Paul says the power of God will actually help you through these things, right? And, and to Timothy, he says, endure through this age by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the gifts of the Spirit that you got a couple of verses earlier when the elders laid hands on you, Right? Okay, <laughs> we have to have the Holy Spirit. That's my point. Verse 9. Uh, he saved us. He summoned us with a holy summons, not because of things we have done, but because of his own plan and his gracious mercy and kindness, which he planned to grant to us in union with the Messiah. Those who, right, what do we say, a baptism, those who have been united in a death like his will certainly share in a resurrection like him, union with his suffering, union with his life. Verse 10. But now he has made known, he's disclosed through the appearing of our Savior, Messiah Jesus, who has broken the power of death. He has shed light on life and immortality through the gospel cross unto the age to come cross unto eternal life for which I verse 11 was appointed a messenger and apostle 12. And that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded. I'm convinced. I'm confident that he my crucified risen Lord, that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Paul, Paul's walking through difficulty and suffering and trial. And because he's been prepared for it by his master, right? So if you know the story of, of uh, Paul, he's, you know, riding down the road <laughs> and he gets knocked off his horse and he's blinded. And the Lord, you know, Lord commissions him, called, Paul, I've called you to be a light to the Gentiles, okay? And then he gets to uh, Ananias' house, and Ananias is like, I, I know that guy, I don't want to let him in my house, he kills people like me, okay? And the Lord says, let him in, lay your hands on him, heal him, open his blind eyes, and then he says, because i got to show Paul how much he's going to suffer for my sake. So that's kind of Paul's commissioning, is, hey, light to the Gentiles, a lot of suffering, Okay? And Paul says, I'm persuaded, I'm convinced, I have a reward in the age to come. I have life in the age to come because he's able to guard what's been entrusted to me. I'm not worried about it. So bring on the lashes, right? Bring on the shipwreck, bring on the snake bite, bring on the, like lots of Paul's uh, uh, fighting in his, like you read through his letters or, or the narrative in Acts, lots of his fighting would be like, imagine uh, I've got the message of eternal life, and this is obviously hypothetical, and Joe doesn't, okay? 
And Joe, Joe's a person that, that we respect and we love. And my whole life then is trying to convince Joe that I have the message of eternal life. And Joe is shaming me in our community. That would destroy me. So don't do that, you know. That would destroy me if a respected person in my community hated me and actively like, like persecuted me. That's what Paul's dealing with too. He's got all this stuff and he's like, I'm convinced God's able to guard what's been entrusted to me until the day of the Lord. I'm going to be fine. So bring on the suffering and trial and whatever. I, I, yeah, I can do it. Because I have the spirit of God. I have the gospel. I know where history's, history's going. Okay? So Paul's message. All right, that was too long. Paul's message is the cross before the day. And Paul's lifestyle is the cross before the day. Paul's life and his message are the sort that prepare both he and his hearers for heartache and suffering. Paul's gospel can bear the weight. It can handle what, whatever comes. And this is what he's then spurring Timothy on in. Okay? Paul said, here's my message, here's my lifestyle, you've seen it, Timothy, now he's going to tell Timothy what to do. Verse 13, Timothy, you hold on to the pattern of sound teaching. What's a sound bridge when you can drive over and it won't collapse, right? Sound teaching, bring bring it on, it won't collapse. The sound teaching that you've heard from me, guard the good deposit, the good gospel that's been handed down to us through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. But then... Paul shows the the fruit of unsound teaching, of teaching that shuns suffering, shuns trial, and therefore shuns people like Paul who are enduring it, right? Like if if I'm preaching this message of everything's awesome, and then I got this guy comes in who everything is hard, we don't like him. He smells, you know? There's an, right, it's an aroma of Christ, life to those who are going to inherit eternal life, and stench to those who are perishing so he says, verse 15, you know all those in the province of Asia, they have deserted me, including P and H. You guys figure that out. So why'd they desert Paul? Well, for the same reason that Jesus' disciples initially desert him, right? Disciples are disciples and thousands are all in on Jesus right up until when? Oh, they're gonna kill him. Don't want to be with that guy, right? This is the bit. They wanted nothing to do with the cross. They wanted nothing to do with the shame. Their eyes are set on glory, which is good. Guys, we need to think more about the glory of the age to come, not less, right? Like that, That's not their problem. Their eyes are set on glory. But they don't have a grid for the suffering beforehand, right? Jesus tells them three different times in all three, in, in three, those, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three different times, guys, the Son of Man is going to be handed into the hands of lawless men. He's going to be crucified and killed, and on the third day, he's going to rise. And all they hear is the Son of Man. That's it. Right? He says, the cross is coming, and what does Peter say? Lord, no, may it never be. And why does Peter say, may it never be for you? Because a disciple is not greater than his teacher, and a servant is not greater than his master. And so if they persecute the master of the house, how much more will they persecute those who are in his household? And Peter's like, hey, if they're going to crucify you, that means they're going to crucify me. And then he says, no, 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 no. May it never be, Lord. And then what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. Your, your, your mind, your heart is set on the things of this age, not of the age to come. And then Peter's like, oh. Right, And then the Lord comes back to Peter after the resurrection, reaffirms says, Peter, I'm going to build my church on people like you. People who, who embrace the cross, who embrace who I am and, and live it out. And then church tradition, Peter's crucified upside down. He's fine with it. 
He's like, okay, yeah. don't even crucify me right side up like Jesus. I'm not worried of that. Let's do it upside down. See how that works. It works in Peter inheriting a throne in the age to come right next to Jesus, ruling all the nations of the earth. Peter has no regrets as he's being crucified. And it's the same Peter who earlier was just like, no. You got to have the right story to deal with the difficulty. Peter, has, he has the right story now. And it's our job as messengers, it's your job as church members to encourage each other in the right story and preach a message to each other that says, hey, difficulty's going to come, trial's going to come, and the gospel will hold up, and you hold up, and when you can't hold up, I'm going to grab you, and I'm going to hold you up and help you through this thing. But we can't do the wood, hay, and straw bit, guys. It's not going to work. The fire of the day of the Lord will disclose it and say that you destroyed God's temple. I'm going to destroy you. Okay, there are people, though, who did believe the message, who were girded up for the intensity of this age, and they stood firm. Verse 16, Paul says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of that guy. Okay, because he often refreshed me. He was not ashamed of my chains. He wasn't ashamed of the cross. Therefore, at the day, his work will be shown as gold, silver, costly stones. Verse 18, May the Lord grant that he obtained mercy on that day. Into chapter 2, you therefore, my son Timothy, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Don't bend under the pressure. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. So the message has to come from messengers. And again, those messengers back up their message with their lifestyle, which then Paul lays out for Timothy. Verse 3, share in suffering, Timothy, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please his commanding officers. So Timothy, don't get sidetracked with the things of this age. Good things or bad things, right? Hold all of those things in light of what's coming, right? First Corinthians 7, you guys who are married, live as though you're not married. Right? Don't take that the wrong way. He's just saying, like, hey, the age to come, right? You who are rich, live as though you're poor. Like, hold it rightly. Okay, verse 8 then. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended from uh, David. Christmas songs, right? According to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God's not bound. Right? The word of God's not bound. Right, Philippians 1, like Paul goes to jail and he's like, no, this is actually good because now the whole imperial guard is hearing the gospel. The word's not bound, even though I am. Verse 10, this, this message, this life is why I endure all things for the sake of the elect so that they may obtain salvation. What if Paul doesn't preach this message and Paul doesn't live this life? They might not, right, obtain salvation. I'm living this way so that they will, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And then Paul highlights the absolute importance of preaching a message of coming difficulty. Verse 11, if we've shared in his death, if we share his example of cross-bearing now, we will share in his life, the age to come. Verse 12, if we endure now, we will also share in his reign in the age to come. You see what Paul's doing He's a wise master builder, and he's prepping people to take all the heavy hits that come with this age, okay? He's laying a foundation of suffering unto glory and placing it before his hearers honestly. Jesus, right, this is why we love Jesus. He's just is a straight shooter. We like Paul. He's a straight, like, you don't have to try to, like, what are you really saying? He's saying, no, suffering, glory, enduring, reigning. This is the narrative. But then he says, 
And this is why it matters that we prepare people beforehand. Then he says, if we disown him, he will likewise disown us. And like the previous examples, what might lead people to disown Jesus? Maybe people told them the cross stuff was past and the endurance stuff was over. And the age to come when you'll reign as kings, already rich, already full, already begun to reign, is now. But then trouble came and difficulty came and the fires of testing came. And when it was time to bear witness to the shame of the cross, they were like the soil in in Luke 8, Matthew 13, Mark 4. They were the seed on the rock. Those who, when they hear, they receive the word of eternal life with joy. They heard now is not always. Yes. But having no root, these believe for a little while and they fall away when? I'm testing. They they weren't rooted in, no, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. So you can endure by the power of the Spirit. Okay? But in a time of testing, they, they didn't hear that. And they fell away. So this was my burden leaving uh, church two weeks ago. We had, I, I love, like, son, I, Sundays are awesome. I'm all, I'm still shocked you guys are here every Sunday. <laughs> but I was going home and I just man, I'm getting the updates from over there and just other stuff going on in people's lives in our church community and our town community and just all the hits. I just man, is what we're hearing every week and what we're believing is it is it preparing us for trial? And testing. So Paul keeps going. I'm almost done. Verse 14 he says. Remind them of these things. What we just. Be diligent. To present yourself to God as one approved. As a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed. Right? And what would bring shame for Timothy? What would bring shame for Timothy. Is if at the judgment. His work is burnt up. Because he built with. Stuff that wouldn't hold up. A worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth, which is the cross before the day. And then Paul hones in on these false messages and and messengers as those who don't prepare people for difficulty in this age. And they say, hey, the age comes arrived. Verse 16, he says, (laughs) that is funny. He says, avoid irreverent babble. How does Paul think about the message? It's irreverent babble. It's uh, Bruce Almighty. It's nothing. It helps no one. Avoid irreverent babble. Why? Why, Timothy, why do you need to stay as far away from this stuff as you can? Why not lay a foundation of wood, hay, and straw? On the outside, it looks the same. Why not tickle people's ears? Now, why? For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. It won't gird them to live righteously. It won't gird them up to stay on the path if you tell them, eh, path, whatever. It's, it, it's, it's irreverent babble. And their teaching is going to spread like gangrene. And then he says, Hymenaeus and Philetus are among them. They have departed from the truth. And the truth that these two have departed from is saying that the resurrection is already taking place. The age to come has arrived. You guys are already full, already rich, already reigning as kings. And this is ruining the faith of some. 
Because if you were told nothing hard is coming and then something hard came, you're done. That's not what I signed up for. When teachers do not prepare their people for difficulty, when they spout irreverent babble, and when they teach people they can have the crown without the cross, when they preach a rickety gospel that will not bear the weight of what's coming, they are leading people to slaughter. And when the fire comes, they will have to answer for it. So, Robert, would you come help us, please, or I'll keep going. So rather than a rickety gospel, let's preach like our master, and let's preach like our apostles, and do Second Timothy 4. He finishes his letter and says, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, proclaim the message, keep at it no matter how favorable or unfavorable the season, correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and teaching. The time is coming, you see, when people will refuse to put up with teaching that is sound, that you can drive a car over, that will hold up the weight. People don't want that. Instead, they'll gather to themselves a great many teachers to suit their own desire, to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. The resurrection's already taken place, Hymenaeus and Philetus say. But as for you, Timothy, exercise self-control. As as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Christian Life Church, endure hardship, okay? And we'll help you do that. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of a gospelist. Do the work of telling people, not going to be like this forever. Put your trust in the cross. Jesus will come, make all things new. And fulfill your ministry. That, that gospel will preach. He's going to come, judge the living and the dead. He's appearing his kingdom. Put your trust in the cross before that. Okay, so members of our church, I know you guys know that. I, I know, I know that. I know that. But I just, it was just so heavy. It's still heavy. Um, so I don't want our work burned up at the day. I, I want it to stand in the fire and inherit eternal life. And so one way that we do this, one way that we gird ourselves up for this story. And, and this truth and this message is we come here every Sunday. And every Sunday we say, look, there is a cross. This is the blood of my covenant for the forgiveness of your sins. And I'm not going to drink it again with you until I drink it in my father's kingdom when all things are, are made new. So every Sunday, even if the sermon was a total, right, this preaches every Sunday. Every Sunday we have the cross before the day. And so that's, that's what we're going to do now. Um, so if our, our uh, deacons could come forward and start to pass, pass this out. Um, if you're here today and uh, you're repenting, you're believing, uh, and, and you've, you've obeyed Jesus in baptism, you are more than welcome to take with our members. If you're here and you're not believing, you're not repenting, haven't been baptized, please don't take. Just let the plate pass. And if you want to talk about that, we'll talk about you, talk uh, with you after. But um, right now, we'll go ahead and pass it out.